chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along there. Uh, or you can probably follow along right here. Uh, we're going to be going off of the ESV version. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign or in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So, welcome to Good News Church. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, the way I wanted to start this message is by thinking about the idea of labels. And we live in a world filled with labels. Um, we have a newborn, and there's specific labels of like clothing where it gives you like washing instructions on how to wash certain things. And even after like five years of this, I still cannot decipher what belongs in the dryer and what does not belong in the dryer. There are labels for health. This has this many calories, which means nothing to me. Or uh, this is uh, dangerous for this. If you have a nut allergy, there's clothing labels, warning labels, health labels. And some labels name the thing inside, and some do a good job, and some do a bad job. So here's a bad label. Uh, when I was living in Atlanta, one of my favorite foods was um, radish kimchi. And there is this area of Atlanta that you can go to called Buford Highway, where they have like these small um, grocery stores. So I bought radish kimchi, and I put it in my uh, refrigerator. And while uh, people from church were there, this one girl who was at my church, who's not Korean, said, hey, can I get something from your fridge? I'm thirsty. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead and get something from the fridge. She opens the fridge. She has like a puzzled look on her face. She closes the door, and then she comes back to me, and she goes, um, Fred, what is cat dookie? I said, cat dookie? I was like, I don't have any cat dookie. What are you talking about? You have a jar of this red stuff in your fridge called cat dookie. I'm like, no, cat dookie. She goes, no, it says cat dookie. I was like, you want to try some of the things? So this is a bad label, right? Cat dookie is not what I was eating. <laughs> radish kimchi. But sometimes labels do a bad job of telling you what's inside. But there are great labels. Sports has great labels, like the Philly Special from 2018, The Process, which is still not working out, and some of the Sixers. Um, there's Lynn Sanity, which is a great name for this guy with the last name Lynn who played insane for about five games. So those names perfectly capture everything wonderful about the moment, 
and give it an extra sense of purpose, an extra sense of oomph. And what we learned today is that there is a label that is used for the first time, and that label is the word Christian. In verse 26 it says, And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now this word is so much a part of the way that we live that we forget that it has a history, that somebody said it for the very first time about 2,000 years ago. And when we look at the origin of this word, it has the ability to refocus us and reorganize us and remind us about what it means to follow Christ. So that's what we're going to look at today. Before we do that, let's take a minute, let's pray, and then we'll go into today's message. Dear God, we just thank you so much for giving us your word, which reminds us of all that you've done, but even more than that, it reminds us of what you are doing in our midst. And I pray that as a church, our hearts would be open to you so that we can hear your voice, we can fall deeper in love with you, and we can do the things that you're calling us to do. We thank you, in your name we pray. Amen. So I think the first thing to clear up is, um, a lot of us growing up, and maybe people not part of the church, think Jesus' last name is Christ. Jesus Christ, right? Um, and it's easy to think that because people say it so often in our society. But when you look at what it is, Christ is actually the Greek word for Messiah, meaning anointed one. Back in those times, if you wanted to know who somebody was specifically, you'd say who their father was, Jesus, son of Joseph. Or you'd say where they're from, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ is not his name, but it's his title, Jesus the Christ Jesus, the Messiah, and it's important that the word that is first used to describe this church is not in Aramaic, it's not in Hebrew, but it's in Greek, the common language of the day, the language of the people that were being reached in the city of Antioch. We've been going through a series in the book of Acts, and the first powerful image that hits us in the book of Acts is tongues of fire falling from the sky. And like fire that spreads, the gospel has spread through the book of Acts, through the church in Jerusalem, through Judea, through Samaria. One little flame went and hit an Ethiopian eunuch, and now for the first time it is spreading into the Greek world. But just like Moses' burning bush, the fire does not consume the people that it touches, but it makes them alive in a spiritual and a powerful way. And here, what we see is this fire of the Holy Spirit is now burning past ethnic and religious barriers. In verse 19, we see that a wave of people have left Jerusalem because of persecution. And the first wave of people only preached the Gospels to Jews. But then a second wave came, and these are met in Cyprus and Cyrene, and unlike the first wave, they saw the people around them who were not Jewish, did not speak Hebrew, did not speak Aramaic, and said, these people need to hear the gospel as well, and they started preaching to the Hellenists, or what we know as non-Jewish Greeks. And it's important that verse 26 says, these disciples were called Christians and not Messiahists or Messianists. They were called something Greek. And the fact that the word Christian draws its origin from Greek shows us that in order to be a Christian, we have to be open to all of the people that God loves. When you do a quick search through the book of Acts and look at how Peter addressed the crowd, he would say, fellow Israelites, fellow Jews. The other titles that were used for collectives were Hebraic Jews, 
Hellenistic Jews. They would say people of the way or Nazarenes. And when you look at all of those titles, their ethnic titles, their geographic titles, or their amorphous titles. These are titles that are meant to draw boundaries. This is who belongs in this group. This is who does not. But when verse 26 says, these people are going to be called Christian, it burns through all of those barriers and said, anybody who looks to this person as their savior belongs. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Greek, whether you're male, whether you're female, whether you're from Jerusalem, or whether you're from somewhere else. To be a Christian meant you have to be open to the entire world. And this difference is like the difference between the World Series and baseball versus the World Cup. Right? The World Series in baseball is called the World Series. But who plays in the World Series? 29 teams from the U.S. and one team from Canada. But it's still called the World Series. Whereas the World Cup, you actually have the world that gets to play. That's the difference between being called a follower of the Messiah and being a Christian. With this title, the church has now opened itself up to every single type of person living in the Roman Empire. But not only are they embracing people of different ethnicities, they are also embracing people who have serious moral failings. So imagine one day, Sam and I are no longer the pastors here, and you guys got to look for a pastor. And you get one resume in, and you go, okay, tell me about this guy. Well, his name is Joseph, but they call him Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas, what's that mean? Oh, son of encouragement. Oh, he sounds very nice. What did he do? He sold all of his land, gave it away to poor people, and he's been preaching the gospel ever since. Everybody loves him. Great, he's hired. Who's the next guy? Well, he's smart. Okay, what else? His name is Saul. Okay, what else has he been doing? Well, for the last three years, he's just been sitting around at Tarsus. Why? Well, nobody likes him. Why don't they like him? Well, every time he preaches, people get angry and try and stone him and try and beat him up. Oh, okay, well, what was he doing before he was a Christian? Well, he was arresting women and men and murdering them. Murdering them? What kind of men and women was he murdering? Well, Christians. And this is the guy we want to hire? Paul and Barnabas come into this church, and what has been going on with Paul? He's converted in Acts chapter 9, and this is seven years later. For three years, he's in Damascus, and like I said, people chase him out of town. For two weeks, he's in Jerusalem, and then people chase him out of town. And then he basically gives up, and he goes, I'm going to go back to my hometown, work on a craft. He worked on tent making and was there. And Paul was about to be lost in obscurity until Barnabas said, I know the perfect guy for this church. He went, he found Saul, brought him back, and the people in Antioch, unlike every other group up until this point, did not say, we don't want this murderer in our church. They said, if Jesus loves this guy, then he belongs here. We'll hire him. Antioch saved Paul. He almost went into obscurity. But because they opened their arms to him, now he was able to be the missionary to the Gentiles that he would become. To be a Christian means you are open to everybody that Jesus loves. But it also means something else. Where is all this stuff happening? It's happening in Antioch, which is located on the eastern end of the Roman Empire. It's probably the third biggest city behind Rome and Alexandria. Estimates vary, but somewhere between 100,000 and 200,000 people. And this city drew all the famous people towards it because this was a staging area to fight against the Persian Empire. 
And so history and tradition have it that Peter, the Apostle Peter, was actually the very first bishop at Antioch. And later in this passage, we find that Paul was one of its very first leaders. And when you consider that, it's basically a miracle that the believers in Antioch were not called Peterites or Paulians or Peter and the Rock Tents or Paul and the Tent Makers or something like that. They are not named after their human leader. And it's something within us that has a tendency to elevate the people that we see. When Cornelius meets Peter in Acts chapter 10, he falls on his knees and starts to worship Peter. And first he says, Peter says, stop, 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 stop. In Acts chapter 14, when Barnabas and Paul go to Lystra, the people think that they are gods and start sacrificing to them until Paul and Barnabas say, stop, 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 stop. We are men just like you. And if we are honest, we also have a tendency today to equate the church that we belong to to its pastor. Hey, which church do you go to? I go to Blank's church. I go to this person's church. We have a tendency to elevate the person in front of us and make that the focus of our faith. But this church was not called Paul's church or Peter's church or Barnabas's church. This church was called Christ's church. And so to be a Christian means we don't follow a pastor. We follow Christ. Verse 19 and 20 tells us that Antioch was a grassroots movement. They were spreading the gospel on their own. Unnamed people from Cyrene and Cyprus said, hey, these guys need to hear the gospel too, and then they did. And as that number grew, then Paul and Barnabas came later, but the heart of the church are the people inside of it. Now, good news, we are about 15 or so years old. And when this church started, this was a lay-driven church. This was a church where the work that was being done was not being done by a pastor and a group of hired professionals. It was being done by the people that were here. Pastor John started this church, and then he left. And then Pastor Sam came in, and then I'm here. But one day, we will not be here. But that is not a problem for this church, because we are not John's church, Sam's church, or Fred's church. We are Christ's church. Jesus Christ is the leader of this church. And we need to make sure that we keep that heart in the midst of what we do. Being a part of a church is not a spectator sport like tennis, where you just watch somebody working very hard and at the end you clap. It's like um, tug of war. We saw this show, um, Physical 100, where all these crazy Korean guys were competing. Um, I, I could have sworn they were going to do tug of war, but they didn't do tug of war. But church should be like tug of war. Everybody facing in the same direction, looking at Christ, and pulling in the same direction in mission. That is what the church should be about. And if I'm honest, I would rather be a part of a small church where everybody is in love with Christ and doing their part than a big church that has all this stuff where everybody is just kind of watching. I would much rather Nathan come around with a basket and collect the offering in the middle of service than some sleep machine where I put my credit card. I want my kids to grow up in a church where when they think of church, their vision of it is that person's dad who loves Christ and wants to do everything they can to serve people around them. To be a Christian means who we follow is Christ. And so the quick kind of digression here is how is your relationship with Jesus? If you only think about him here, and you only hear from him here, then we need to do a little bit more. You are followers of Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has died for you. Have a relationship with him. 
be close to him, be directly tied to him. So the first part, we have to love everybody that Jesus loves. The second part, we follow Christ. We don't follow a human leader. But the last part that we see is Christians are people who transform negative things into positive things. Verse 26 doesn't mention this. But the word Christian was not a word that the believers used for themselves. Most likely, it was something that people outside the church used as a derogatory term and threw at them. There are other similar instances where people called people Herodians or Pompeians. It had a political angle to it, and it was meant to identify a political faction. But to call somebody a Christian was to say, you follow a dead man who was a crucified criminal, and you have no real power. It was meant to be a term to make fun of Christians. But Christians heard this and said, that is exactly right. You're wrong on one detail. He is alive. And they took a negative title and they turned it into a badge of pride. Christians take things that are negative and turn them into things that are positive. We see that with the Greeks and we see that with Saul. Saul, from this point onwards in a couple chapters, transforms into Apostle Paul. They took a guy who was in obscurity, probably going to die making tents for the rest of his life, and elevated him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. They took Greeks who were far from the gospel and brought them close. And we see that even more in verses 27 to 30. If you look at this passage, the end of this passage says, Prophets from Jerusalem came to Antioch and prophesied of a famine. And when the disciples in Antioch heard of this famine, they said, We have to help. And just like Jesus, who provided bread for 5,000 people in a desolate place, the church in Antioch becomes a bakery in the midst of famine. We are called to be people who, when darkness is out in the world, it can come into this place and be transformed into light. When people who are sick and hurting in the world come into this place, because of what Christ has done, they can be transformed and changed and walk and worship God with joy. The church, when it's called Christian is a place that takes a negative term that people use to make fun of us, transforms it into a badge of pride where there is spiritual power to transform what is going on out in the world into something that can glorify him. Christian was not a label that the Antioch Christians created, but it's something that they used because it reminded them of who they were, it reminded them of who they followed, and it helped them keep their mission on track. We are Christians because we are called to share this gospel with every single person. So, in closing, uh, I just wanted to say one thing. Good labels, good names can crystallize an identity. They can bring people together. They can energize a mission. Brothers and sisters, we have a great name. Our name is Good News Church. And what that means is, one time in our life, we were lost in darkness. And somebody told us good news. And we didn't have to do that anymore. And we come in. We are people who have heard good news. That we could have been lost, wandering, on our own, left with nothing but what we had within ourselves. But because of this good news, we have spiritual power. We have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have grace. We are Good News Church. We are a church who, even though out in the world there is darkness, 
There's hopelessness, there's depression, there's despair. We have this good news. Jesus Christ on the cross has conquered all of that, and one day soon, he is coming back for his people. And the fact that we have good news means this is a message that we can't just keep here. We have to tell other people about it. Good news, church. We have a great name. Let's live up to our name. Let's pray. Um, there's a tragedy uh, in this passage. Um, Antioch is the first place that uh, people were called Christians, and they ended this passage. The places that was hit was Antioch, and half of the city was wiped out. But I think the appropriate place to start is to pray for Christians in that area. Uh, I'm reaching out to Pastor John, who knows some people in Antioch, and there might be a chance that we can uh, help churches in Antioch. Uh, financially or whatever it makes sense. And given what we heard in this passage, that might be the perfect way to move this out. So maybe the place that we can start is pray for Christians in Antioch, pray for Christians in Turkey who are going through this earthquake. And then after that, maybe we can pray for a church. So let's pray like that. Uh, yeah, we've got plenty of time. So let's pray like that for maybe four or five minutes. Uh, I'll have to prepare for us and then we can go into time of worship.